and welcome to Project Endo, a podcast all about endometriosis. I'm your host, Eddie Tyrrell, and thank you for joining me. Today's guest is Carly Blau, a sex and relationship therapist in New York City. As a woman health expert, Carly specializes in endometriosis, infertility, and sexual dysfunctions. We talk about our sexual experiences, best positions for endometriosis, and our relationship between endometriosis and sex. Well, hi, Carly. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. I've been really looking forward to this kind of conversation. Uh, Likewise. Yes, being very British, you know, we kind of keep our sex talk <laughs> behind. Yeah, I love sex talk, but we can have, we can be open about it here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, we're getting a little bit better. There's a show here called uh, Naked Attraction, so we're definitely getting a bit more <laughs> interested in that way. But sure. we're not going to be talking about TV shows today. We'll be talking about... <laughs> Um, endometriosis and kind of sex and like sexual relationships with that so um, if you could just tell me could you just tell me you have endometriosis um, could you just tell me how your journey started with that and what led you to become like a sex therapist if that kind of go together yeah so I'm Carly Blau I'm a New York State licensed sex therapist in the United States um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 14 years old. Now, when I was 14, it was around 2005. And we were just beginning to understand what endometriosis is and how it works and manifests within the body. And what we were learning about it was really we were really just beginning to learn about it as a medical community. And my doctor said, you know, the um, the main symptom was that my periods were really severe, and sex was very painful. And I was um, 14 when I became sexually active, which is a bit of disclosure, but I think it's really um, relatable in the sense that there are many women and men who are sexually active at a younger age. And, you know, we can't shun people or shame people for that. I think it's better that we inform about the decision to be sexually active. And I think the most important part is that When my mom learned that I was sexually active, her first move was we're going to the doctor and you are going to talk to a doctor and you're going to talk to an OBGYN and have any questions answered um, because there's a boundary, right? As your mom, Um, I understand. She was like, I know you don't want to tell me everything, but you need to tell someone everything. So, you know, I think that that was the most important. And for anybody listening who might be of a younger age, if you are sexually active, don't be embarrassed or anything like that, but make sure to advocate for yourself and Talk to your even your general health provider um, to ask questions about sexual health. Um, so I, this doctor said to me, it sounds like because your sex is so painful, it sounds to me like it could be endometriosis. And so they started the journey of diagnosing me then. And it was formally diagnosed through a laparoscopic surgery in 2007. And then I had another battle with it, for lack of better terms, in 2014 and had another surgery. So that's been my, my journey then. Yeah, just go back. You said because you were sexually at 14 and your periods before you were sexually active, were they bad as well? Or Oh, absolutely. So when I started getting my period at the beginning, you know, they were, they were, it wasn't even that they were so heavy. They were, they were heavy, but a period is heavy. Like we need to normalize this stuff. Periods are heavy. It's when anything in life can be considered normal, except normal is a very relative and subjective term. It's when the periods are incredibly heavy, where you're not able to keep in a, like you can't keep a super tampon in for more than an hour and a half, right? You're constantly bleeding. The bleeding is so severe that it's not considered 
average, right? This is where like science and research comes into play. Which a lot of people probably at your age are like, is this normal? Is this, you know, I think a lot of- Correct. And I think a lot of people, there's a misunderstanding about that, right? It's like, oh, this is not normal. Oh, this is not normal. Well, we really need to look at averages and we need to look at how many women are experiencing painful periods. There's a reason why there's medications for pain for periods because periods suck. Like they're really hard to deal with. But if you have something like endometriosis, your period might be increasingly more painful if your endometriosis continues to worsen and grow um, and create more inflammation around more organs that have to do with your reproductive functioning. So I think, you know, even starting from the beginning, I was having a lot of pain and discomfort along with heavy bleeding, but the bleeding wasn't really our concern. It was more the the pain and discomfort I experienced was really severe. I think I do ask a lot of people, oh, what would be the one thing you'd change? It'd be that it's just the pain. I could, if it was everything else, I'd be all right. There's They've got rid of the pain, it'd be fine. And you just, yeah. Mine would be just the pain with sex. I mean, I can deal with the pain. I can deal with the cramping. I can deal with the pain and discomfort. Um, for me, the thing that I wanted to get rid of that I I could talk for hours about it, um, but I no longer experience is uh, the pain during intercourse. What was the pain that you were getting when you were like going, right, what's this is not good? Why is this not enjoyable? That kind of. Yeah. So for me, it was um, during intercourse towards my cervix. And like if, if I had deep penetrative intercourse and deep penetrative sex, um, it was very painful for me towards my cervix and anything upwards in my vagina. So anything past the initial point of penetration, I would get really crampy. And then also after sex, um, I was really crampy and very uncomfortable. As I got older, there was a situation where I had had sex twice. And one time right afterwards, I was getting really bad cramping and what they thought was irritable bowel syndrome, because I would like I would finish having sex and then I'd be really, really sick and going to the bathroom nonstop, like I really didn't feel well. And you know, it sucks when sex is pleasurable, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're being punished for having a good time where you're like in the bathroom and can't come out because your stomach feels like you're about to explode um, and you're going to the bathroom not to be not to be graphic but like you have diarrhea and your stomach hurts and you have bloating and you're and it, it just it hurts a lot um so that happened and then there was a second time when right after having sex I was violently ill I mean both ends and sweating profusely to the point where my body couldn't actually sit up on a toilet because I was covered in sweat from head to toe from being in so much pain and discomfort. And so at that point, we went for um, a consultation again and had a second surgery where they found other lesions of endo. And oh gosh, that was, I was, I was nodding there, guys, just because I was like, oh my God, that happens to me. And you just, you kind of, it's one of those, you want to get, I want to get the sex over and done with so I can, that pain's going to happen. But also you just kind of like, oh, but if I, it's going to happen, I'm going to, it's like any kind of, like, I guess when you're waiting for your period kind of thing, you're, yes, yeah, so you're waiting for the pain and you're just that kind of thing. So going from having all these horrible things happening whilst you're having sex and then just going to, I would be a sex therapist. Um, how did that happen? I would have been like, yes. So I'll tell you. So I became a sex therapist because um, that relationship that I was in when I was younger, you know, I was an only child and I had an amazing relationship with my mother who I'm still very close with. Your mom sounded great, by the way, when you like, She's incredible. I, I wish we all had a mum like, I mean, my mum was like that, but we were very much, we don't talk about these things. <laughs> well, my, and see, the thing is, is my mom didn't really want to talk about it either until she realized that it was either she was going to talk to me about it or 
who knew what was going to be. And so what ended up happening actually was um, when I became sexually active, I was afraid to tell my mom because I knew she would be really disappointed, not in me, but in the fact that I was engaging in such a thing at such a young age. I don't know about any of you listening, but if you're over the age of 18, and I hope that I don't, I don't offend anyone younger than 18 when I say this, but you know what, there'll come a day where you're in your thirties and you look at a 14 year old and you're like, how are, how was I having sex at 14? When you see a 14 year old, like there, you're still such a young teenager, you're growing and the body, your body is growing. And to think that you could be so sexually vulnerable, right. At that age, um, when you don't even know that much about your own body, let alone somebody else's. So I had a best friend who had a library in her house and they had a sex book, a textbook. And um, I used to read it because I wanted to know like what I was doing with my boyfriend. I know what he was telling me, but I wanted to know what was really going on. So I would read the textbook and I would read about it. And then my mom got me a great book, um, you know, all about growing up for girls and what are the different things that you experience. And it had everything in there from blowjobs to anal sex to everything. My mom said, I'd rather you get your information from a textbook. And so I just studied and I really knew. So when it came time to everyone else becoming sexually active, everyone was coming to me for questions because they knew I wasn't giving them advice or guidance or answers based on like what an older sibling had told me, or even from what I experienced with a guy, even though I had a boyfriend, I was giving them advice and guidance from an actual textbook. Like if you've ever seen the show on Netflix, Sex Education. I was going to say, you sound like the sex. <laughs> I was Otis before Otis ever existed. You know, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Like my middle name yeah. could have been. Well, Otis's middle name could have been Carly. I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, there we go. Based on your life, there. Yeah, but it, <laughs> well, no, yes, but he's not. <laughs> it really was like that. And so, you know, what I ended up saying to myself as I grew older, you know, I love talking about sex. I find it to be a tap a topic that we don't talk about enough. And. Um, and I have a really easy way of talking about it and informing people. So I decided to turn it into a career and here I am. Brilliant. I, li- I like that though. So I'm going to get straight to the questions now, kind of, you know, I think this is all the guys want to be listening about is quick question. Number one is why does sex hurt when you've got endometriosis? Okay. So very simple. Endometriosis acts as like, um, when there is endometriosis tissue that is present in your abdomen, and it is present on or near your reproductive organs. What endometriosis tissue does is whatever it attaches to, whatever it's near, it tends to attach to like Velcro and whatever it attaches to, it causes inflammation. So if you've got endometriosis on your uterus, on your colon, on your um, a very typical place for it to present is the uteral sacral ligament, um, which is the space between the uterus and the colon. And so when you're engaging in intercourse, that's if it's penetrative intercourse, that is where the penetration is most likely to happen. Not penetration, that's where the impact is most likely to occur. And that's why people feel a lot of pain. There's an inflammation of the reproductive organs that are typically being touched or prodded as in in the way of penetration. And then when there's no penetration, it can still be painful and uncomfortable. And the reason for that is, is A, you have inflammation 
of these reproductive organs. And B, if there's any endometriosis on or around your uterus, if you do achieve an orgasm, sometimes orgasms can be painful because the uterus can contract, which the uterus is like is has muscle or like the pelvic floor has muscle around it. So that pelvic floor contraction that you're feeling as a result of the orgasm can be painful. But if you're imagining that there's inflammation to the uterus because of endometriosis, then any kind of contraction to something that's inflamed would be painful. That can be reasons why it's painful as well. We, I think we all kind of know that, but we also just don't want to think about it. We just go to work like, just why does this horrible thing happen when we have something enjoyable? And Of course, why does it have to you know, and, you know, especially when you talk about orgasms as well, I noticed that when um, I get penetrated orgasms, that's when it hurts. But when I'm using like a toy or my finger, it's okay. I don't know if it's a mind thing or just, a, I don't know. It's so it could be a mind thing, but I think it would also be more that wherever the penetration is occurring. So we should use the, I should use a different word other than penetration because penetration really only occurs at the point in which your vagina is penetrated, right? But then there's this point of impact, we should call it. So it's really upwards towards the cervix and where a penis or a finger or a sex toy would penetrate and touch when whatever is being touched, if there's endometriosis on the opposite side of that wall or anywhere near that, you're basically poking an inflamed tissue. And then you go ahead and have an orgasm and it's already inflamed, you can feel some discomfort. Kind of putting the, br the bruise on your arm a bit more just to... Yeah, it's like you have a bruise and you just keep pushing on it. And you're like, okay, but if I keep pushing on it, eventually it'll feel really good. Sure, you'll feel good for a moment. But then afterwards, you were just pushing on a bruise. So you're probably going to hurt. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a good way of seeing it that way. Kind of. I have no actually, you know, kind of that kind of thing. And um, are there any kind of positions that are good for endometriosis? I guess it is the idea of prodding, not prodding that bit. But would you recommend for, you know, even straight, gay, trans, that kind of thing? Is there any kind of... Sure. So regardless of how someone identifies or what kind of sex they engage in, um, I think that really monitoring the amount of penetration that occurs can be incredibly helpful, whether it be with a sex toy, a strap on, a dilt, whatever it is with a penis, with fingers, or if it's not penetrative pain that you experience, really getting to know your body as to what kind of environment you need to be in. Could taking a hot shower before help? Could putting an ice pack on you know, your belly beforehand help you? Um, maybe taking to a leave or an aproxen sodium before engaging in sex to reduce your chances of inflammation and um, pain and discomfort. Could that help, right? There are ways to subdue the amount of discomfort. And in regards to your question about positions, I like to explain to people that specifically, I mostly hear about the pain mostly related to penetrative intercourse, regardless of someone's identity or what, or how they identify or what kind of sex they're having. In that space, what I recommend is whether it be if you're on your back and you have your legs up in any fashion, having your hands with your palms facing your partner behind your thighs can be really helpful. So I want you to imagine you're lying on your back and you're going to lie on your back and you're going to put your legs up however you can. And you imagine putting your hands where the back of your hand, where you can see it is touching your thighs and the palms are facing your partner. 
What this does is it allows you to create a barrier between your body and your partner so that if there's too much penetration and too much pressure, you're able to gently push back on your partner and let them know through that kind of touch that they need to back up a little bit or penetrate a little less or push a little less hard or have a little less pressure. And I think that that can be really helpful. Um, And also being on top can be really helpful putting anything that really puts you in a control position. Um, I think unless it's the most amount of safety as far as pain is concerned. I've heard about the, the hand pumping. That's a good way because it is, I've, when I've been talking to people on the episode, um, one girl, uh, she had said to her husband, he's just like, look, I'm going to have to force myself to do this. You know, it's going to be a mission. It's going to be, and like take all the, you know, all the things that we do. And I think sometimes that doesn't go into the, let's have a quickie kind of thing. It's, it's, do we have to work at it and stuff? And I think, I think I've been noticing a lot now talking to you is that I, we don't really talk to our partners about this very much. I have, you know, every time I start a relationship, I have to do the, the endo talk of this is quite painful. And I was just talking to my boyfriend. We should be having a sex talk with every partner. Who are we to assume? Forget about endometriosis for a second. Who are we to assume that what we like sexually is what our partner would like sexually? Or that our partner would even know how to do what we like sexually, right? We have a responsibility to ourselves as sexual beings to tell our partners what we need to feel safe, sane, and consensual, and what we need to feel pleasured. And that sometimes, almost all the times, means educating your partner, including every new one that we have, right? And that includes about endometriosis, but that's not just when there's a diagnosed issue. It's a matter of, like, this is how I like my clitoris touched. I don't like my clitoris touched. I like my penis touched like this. You know, I like my body touched like this. This is how I identify my genitals. This is how I'd like you to identify my genitals, right? Or I'd, this, can you call my blank a blank and use your own words? You know, sometimes we just need to be informed. I think with me, I don't know if other people that it's more like it's holding me back for having pleasure, I think. And it's always kind of right. Let's, again, let's get it over and done with, which is not a nice thing to, for your poor partner to hear. How would you talk to your, well, you probably have heard every story under, over the, under the book of sexual kind of conversations. Um, don't, I'm not going to hit no any. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's just, how would you start that talk with someone going, hi, um, sex is hard for me. Yeah. So I'll give you my speech. Um, my speech is and was, I mean, I'm now married and I have one monogamous partner, but my speech was, Hey, just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, sex. I didn't even necessarily tell everyone that I had endometriosis. I didn't want to have to be pathologized in a way where it was like, this is my identity. This is all that I am. It's like endometriosis is a condition. It's not who we are. And I think so often with where it's gone in the world, like we, as people find out we have endo and then it's everything we identify with. It's, it's, it is a very big part of our journeys for many people, but it does not have to identify, it does not have to define us. It's merely a part of who we are. And so I would just say to a partner, you know, hey, just want to give you a heads up. Sex can be painful for me sometimes. So, you know, before, like, before we do it, I just wanted to give you a heads up that there are certain positions I can't do, like doggy style is super painful for me. And I might keep my hands behind my thighs to make sure that if I push back on your thighs, if you feel me pushing back, just know that you're going a little too hard or too fast and it's a little uncomfortable for me. And 
And otherwise, I'll tell you what feels good or what doesn't feel good. The other thing is, is I used to t- like, I used to say to people, um, like a partner, whoever my partner was, you know, this is what I like. Can I show you what I like? There's so much shame around specifically for women, um, just taking ownership and advocating for what we like. Like, why does it have to be that we have to do what a male partner likes? Who's to assume that we even want to be with a male partner, right? Like for same sex relationships, there's so much about this. Well, there's not enough spoken about this. Um, and you're entitled to like what you like and inform your partner of that. Yeah, I think taking ownership, whereas, you know, I always have the, what do you want to do? It's like, I don't know, what do you want to do? And he's just like, so if you go, if you go on, the, you're funny, if you go on the internet, and you look up something called the sex a palooza worksheet, if you just Google sex a p a l o o z a worksheet, it'll come up. I would recommend if you start seeing someone new and you're getting sexually active and the two of you are getting involved, download the Sexapalooza worksheet, fill it out and do it over, you know, wine and cheese or a dinner or ice cream or whatever. And learn something about your partner. I did it with my husband seven and a half years later into our relationship and we still learned something about each other. So it's really cool. And I think that that kind of also makes the conversation a little bit more of like a game and there's a lot I put a lot of pressure on it and I probably get that's like very much that's that's right kegs off that's fair. <laughs> and that's what I do in sex therapy right that's what sex therapy is is really helping someone learn that just like you're saying half the fear is what we make of it in our own heads like we're so petrified of having the conversation but if you can be guided and supported into having that conversation with someone all of a sudden you realize once you have it, you're like, gosh, why didn't I do this sooner? Absolutely. Like, I, I feel like we're, we're in lockdown again now. So I'll be something to do one evening. Uh, get the cheese out and be like. Absolutely, you should. I'll send it to you. I would love that. I'll be, uh, <laughs> it's kind of been like doing a Cosmo kind of quiz, isn't it? You're just like, yeah, uh, I used to love doing those. Maybe this is becoming more of a, a me episode, guys. But it's kind of, it's nice to um, speak kind of, I'm still holding back a little bit because my Britishness of, ooh, we're going to talk about, you know, something, you know, you got taught in like when you were like at, at the t- uh, school and then it's very much like very, like you were very textbook. And when you, it, textbook, in real life kind of completely different things it, it's very much like, like I was I was a late bloomer I was I was like uh, 19 when I was sexually active so I had probably more I had the prodding of doctors before I had the nice sexual thing so it's definitely an area I think you know hearing someone who had it from from younger like I was, I'm amazed that someone from 14 got diagnosed with endometriosis and um, takes us a long time in this country so it's definitely good to hear someone from that aspect and is there any advice you'd give to uh, you know you've been sexually active or you've been, been bonking years and years and year and that kind of thing is there anything you would be like right what's you know if you're talking to me in a session going right what would be the main thing so first I want to say to you that there are more people out there than you would assume that were late bloomers so you're not a late bloomer you merely bloomed at 19 that doesn't have to be something that works against you it can actually be incredibly empowering because for me, who was 14, I knew nothing about my body. I was just beginning to learn what my body was, what my vagina parts were, what was my vulva, what's the difference between my labia majora and my nora, and what are those names? And and when you're 19, you know, chances are you've probably had some 
some sort of minor sex education by then, even if it's like the most minimal. Um, But even still, there's um, sometimes just more knowledge about, look, there's a difference between educational experience and life experience. And we can only gain life experience through living. And a 19-year-old has been through more than a 14-year-old has in nearly five years of existence. Now, a 14-year-old could have gone through a shit ton more than a 19-year-old can. I'm not going to go get into that whole debacle. But my point is, is that you're on the earth for more years than a 14-year-old is. And you have more time to get to know your body and grow. And your body changes hormonally. So that's my one little piece about that. Advice that I would give specifically for those who are struggling and suffering with endometriosis, please don't let this define you. Let this be. Now, for some, I know that that might elicit some frustration and anger because for many, it does define you. Um, It is incredibly empowering to learn how it doesn't have to, how it can be a part of your life. It can be like, I'm asthmatic, right? So for me, my asthma becomes a pertinent issue when I get sick. When I get bronchitis, if I get an upper respiratory infection, um, now with COVID, right, needing to be mindful of being an asthmatic, that's a piece, but I'm Carly Blau. I'm not asthmatic. I'm Carly Blau. And I just have asthma. And I also have endometriosis. It is something I struggle with. It is something that has played a pertinent part in my life but it's not all of my identity and it doesn't have to be all of yours. There is a psychological component to this where if we allow something to become all of who we are, it can kind of take over our our mind and body and be what we kind of fixate on. And instead of learning how to have other kinds of sex, like oral sex and fingering and, um, you know, sex toys, merely rubbing on another partner for the sake of, a, of an orgasm, right? There are nipple play, anal play. I mean, there are so kissing can be incredibly pleasurable and just b- touching somebody else's body. There are so many other ways to engage in sexual intercourse instead of just penile vaginal penetration that learning all those things and not letting it define you is a really big journey. And that can be really helpful for someone to guide you through it. But I think that's my biggest piece of advice, like be willing to open your mind to not allow endo to just define you, but merely be a part of who you are. That would be my biggest advice. That's, that's amazing advice. I, I, I was like, going closer to the screen speaking to you like, oh, yeah, I, I want to give her a hug. <laughs> exactly. We're just like, oh, she wants what I want. She gets anyway. me. <laughs> Absolutely. I think especially medical, I don't know, in, in America, but in this country, it's, it is getting better, but it is always a fight to not to even say that is part of my identity, but people believing you that you've got this disease. So I think that's a lot of time that happens. Like I was in A and E a few months ago, um, actually in December, and I I I I knew something. It was endometriosis. It was, this, and I had to keep every person I'd see. I had to keep telling them I have endometriosis. This is what's wrong. Please, you know, that going for me and having an idea that yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, it's it's yeah, part of me, not all of me, and everything. And knowing, and to your point, right? Knowing when to advocate for yourself. That's a great point, right? When when to advocate for yourself. There will be doctors who are ignorant, not out of being jerks, but out of being uneducated because there's so much wrong with our education systems in both the UK and the United States and throughout our world completely in regards to sex education and gynecological, like medical situations and diagnoses. Um, There's a lot that is still being uncovered and explored. And unfortunately, we don't really teach about these things as often. We go into 
special practice, like you'll have an endometriosis specialist, but if you're not an endo specialist, an OBGYN may not have any idea that it's endometriosis. And that's not them not, that's not them being neglectful. That's them merely being, forgive me for saying it, but uneducated. And it's not uneducated by choice. It's uneducated by system. This is a systematic, a systemic issue. Always frustrates me when I say, yes, it's a common condition. I'm like, well, yeah, it is, but no one knows about it. So it's not that common. Anyway, that's a going off, <laughs> going off piss there. And uh, yeah, this has been a really interesting chat, actually. It's gone a kind of not with the way I was wanted to, but it's definitely gone somewhere I've not thought about. And hopefully the guys who are listening to this as well. And so you are a, you are a sex therapist and you're also a maternal medical health. Is that correct? So I am a, um, I'm just finishing my PhD in clinical sex therapy. I've been studying infertility and sexual esteem. I am a sex therapist in New York City, but I specialize in women's health, particularly, um, just because that's a lot of my research background. And as a sex therapist, I would say I'm a sex and relationship therapist. So it's not just about sex, it's about also the relationship we have with ourselves and the ones that are in our lives, including our family, our work, our friends, and how do we have relationships in the most healthy way possible for, for the benefit of ourselves. And I'm also maternal mental health certified. So I was trained trained in diagnosing postpartum depression and anxiety and postpartum stressors and uh, different disorders that have to do with, you know, neonatal loss and the many different stressors that occur within maternal mental health that uh, can make a, a, a new mother's journey quite difficult. Well, that's, that's great. I, there's some areas we'll cover in another podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. We could, we, could, we could be, but I just wanted to say a big thank you. We really do appreciate, especially getting it from a say it how it is kind of thing. I think sometimes <laughs> we need that in our life. Absolutely. That's what I'm known for. If there's anything that I'm going to go down for being known for in my life, it's you're going to have sex for with one person for the rest of your life and a, you're going to you're going to you're going to sleep with one person for the rest of your life and it better best be best damn sex you've ever had and the person you love the most and that person is you and my goal as a therapist is to guide people how to be the best version of themselves so if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about me you can go to carlyblau.com uh it's carly c a r l i b as in boy l a u.com learn about my practice and my approach and you can also see some of the different public Public speaking engagements that I've done with the Endometriosis Foundation of America and some other different podcasts and stuff there too. But thank you so much for having me. And if anyone has any questions or anything, please feel free to reach out. I will do my best to answer you. Number one sex therapist there of endometriosis going you. <laughs> so thank you so much, Carly. Really appreciate it. I will definitely be filling out forms, talking to my boyfriend right now. <laughs> do it. I'm going to send you the Sexapalooza worksheet and let me know what comes of it. Absolutely. And uh, you guys listen to this as well. We would love to get some feedback as well. And big conversation we can have about this one. And hopefully my dad's not listening to this one either. So. Hey, you know what? At this point, your dad had to have had sex at some point in his life too. And, and while it's uncomfortable to think about the fact <laughs> that our parents were once doing it and they may still be doing it, I always say nobody would be here listening to this right now if somebody wasn't doing it someplace exactly. at some point. Just, or just pretend you a stalk dropped you off. That's I will think. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for that, Carly. Really appreciate of that. Right. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. 
To catch up of all the latest on Project Endo, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Project Endo Podcast. This has been an Eterial Media production with music by Joseph Tembury and edited by Jack Ayres. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.